0: And our passage for today is Mark chapter 5. Chapter um, 5, verse 1 to 20 is our passage today. Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. Um And just a reminder that this is the Word of God that we're reading together this morning. Mark chapter five, verse one. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Amen. Uh, thanks for reading the passage for us,
1: Peter. Um, we're going to continue through uh, the Gospel of Mark as we have been. Uh, if you've missed any sermons and you've got a podcast up, you can uh, kind of catch up on, on the sermons there if you want. Um, you know, we begin today's uh, passage uh, in verse 1. We're just going to jump into it. And it starts with, they came to the other side of the sea. Um, and it's kind of written in very simple, uh, in a simple way. But if you were there with us last week, as we looked at, you know, what going to the other side of the sea looked like, uh, you would know that this was anything but simple. Um, last week we saw that, you know, the disciples and Jesus they get on a boat, and they encounter this wild windstorm. Uh, it's like nothing they've ever encountered before, and they're gripped with fear. And in their fear, uh, the fear makes them conclude everything is worse than it really is. We're dying. And Jesus is worse than he is, right, as he sleeps, right? And then they wake up Jesus. He rebukes the storm with a few simple words. And then he rebukes the disciples because they lacked faith, right? Because of their lack of faith, they were gripped with fear. And at the end of the story, the disciples have grown in their fear to Jesus, right? They've begun to recognize that he is worth fearing and having faith in more than the storm. And that's what going to the other side of the sea And encapsulates. And so they have a ride to the country of the garrisons. And this is now a different uh, kind of place. Uh, They've come from uh, Jewish uh, cities, now into a Gentile uh, territory. Uh, Gerasenes means the 10 cities. And so this is a a place where uh, there's uh, cities uh, filled with Gentiles. These are non-Jewish people uh, with pagan culture, uh, pagan ideals, uh, considered really an unclean place to the Jews. We are going to find that there's uh, pigs here, which are considered unclean to the Jews as well. And there's a demon-possessed man, which is unclean. He's living in a tomb, right? Tombs are considered unclean. And so this whole kind of situation is a place where uh, God is really needed. And God needs to step in and clean, you know, the people and the cities here. Right? And as we look at this story, I want to point out three things that we see in Jesus. Right? We're going to look at his love and we're going to find his authority and we're going to find his worth, right? His love, his authority, and his worth. So let's just uh, go from top to bottom. We'll just walk through. And first, we're going to look at his love right? The love of Christ. Verse two, and when Jesus had stepped off the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, right? Out of the graves, a man with an unclean spirit. Uh, The primary feature of this person is that everyone has given up on him, right? First, we see that the people in the cities, right? The people have given up on this man, right? Verse three to four, he lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces, where no one had the strength to subdue him. The people have tried to restrain this demon-possessed man with chains and shackles, and the word subdue is actually the word used to tame wild animals. So they're trying to tame him because he's so out of control. They're treating him really like an animal, but they can't. He keeps breaking out. And so what they've done is they've basically uh, given up on him. And they've pushed him out of the city to fend for himself and die in the tombs. And, you know, no one wants to live in a graveyard. Right? You don't want to go there, let alone live there. And again, this is an unclean place. Hygienically, it's dirty. There's rats this disease, but also for the Jewish people, religiously, <clears throat> it was considered unclean. And so, this person is being pushed to kind of live in the worst kind of place, uh, rejected by everyone in the city, and they're just like, you know, you just you just die by yourself in that place, you know, where no one wants to go. But not only have you know, has everyone, uh, the people, are uh, given up on him. Uh, we read in verse five that this man has given up on himself, and I think this might be the saddest part. Verse five, it says, night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying. He was always crying out and cutting himself uh, with stones. Uh, this is a really a tragic picture of a person in painful agony, crying out right, all throughout the night, all throughout the day. And he's trying to kill himself. He's trying to cut himself uh, with stones. Uh, again, it's a picture of a person who seems uh, too far gone to help satan and his demons they've done everything they can to bring this man to his lowest point Um, he's lost his family his friends a job if he had one people are so afraid of him that they've driven him out of the city into the graveyard to die they want to rid him rid him out of their lives and now this man wants to rid himself of life itself or he he just wants to give up Um, and you know i don't know about you but Every time I've read this passage until like preparing for this sermon, uh, I never really thought of this person as a person, right? When I read demon-possessed man, I'd always think of demon-possessed and I wouldn't think of the man behind, you know, all of this tragedy, right? All of this pain, I Imagine that for whatever reason, um, the demons have possessed you and you're just, you've lost it all. Uh, You're in the middle of nowhere and no one's there to help you. Um, you have rock bottom, right? This is where this man is. Uh, The world's given up on him. He's given up on himself, right? There's nothing left for him. What we find is that Jesus does not give up on him. And here we see Christ's love. Here we see that Jesus cares. And we see the extent of the love that Jesus has for those that the world has given up on. You know, last week uh, we saw the storm. Uh, It was the most ferocious storm the disciples had ever encountered, and that was no accident. And today, we're, uh, we're encountering the most ferociously possessed man in all of scripture. And that's no accident either. It's as if Jesus has purposefully traversed through the most ferocious storm to get to this, you know, most ferociously possessed man that everyone's given up on, right? Just to help him. And then what he's going to do after this is that he's going to get back on his boat and he's going to go across the water back to where he was. He gets on the boat, crosses that storm, helps this man, gets back on the boat and goes back to where he was. None of this is an accident. This is all trying to um, emphasize and help us to see the extent of Christ's compassion. How loving he is, that he would go out of his way and really go through so much difficulty to come to this man who, who everyone's given up on and help him. Right? This is the good shepherd leaving the 99 to find the one. Right? How incredible is that? And before we move on, I just want to encourage us. Right? I don't know, you know how you feel about yourself. Um, and maybe you feel like you're worth giving up on. And maybe everyone around you has given up on you. Um, But what we need to understand is that God and Jesus does not give up on us. This is what we can see here. uh, That even if there is no one left in the world that would look fondly upon us, that if we turn to Jesus, he will accept us. How comforting is that? And I think that's a challenge for us as the church. uh, The way that we look at people, even the people that, you know, maybe all your friends have, you know, turned their backs on someone who feels like they've, they've um, you know, hit rock bottom, no one wants anything to do with them, the way that we respond to them must also you know, exemplify the way that Christ responds to people, you know, on the outskirts. All right, so number one, we see Christ's love. Right, second, we're going to see Christ's authority. All right, verse 6. We're going, to, we're going to go from verse 6 to verse seven, uh, 13, and I'm just going to, going to insert some commentary as we go along. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. The act of falling down and prostrating oneself before someone else is an act of submission. And so all throughout these verses, we're going to see hints of just how powerful Jesus is. Remember, uh, no one can restrain this man. And yet, when he sees Jesus, he falls on his face before him. How powerful is Jesus? Verse 7. And crying out with a loud voice, the man said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. Right? So when you think about the power dynamic here, this man, possessed by demons, is, 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 is asking Jesus, pleading with him, right? Don't torment me. Right? Look how powerful Jesus is. For Jesus was saying, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, Legion uh, was a term used to describe the largest unit in a Roman army, right? So you're different units. The, the Legion was the, the biggest. It consisted of around 6,000 soldiers. And it doesn't mean that necessarily there are 6,000 demons uh, possessing this man, but there must be a sizable amount to, for them to call themselves legion. So this isn't just one demon. It's a great group of them, for whatever reason, having possessed this man. Verse 10, and the man begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country, right? They're begging him. Now, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they they begged Jesus again. They begged him, saying, send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So Jesus gave them permission, right? You got the demons begging. You got Jesus giving them permission to do something, right? Again, the, the authority of Jesus. And the unclean spirits came out, and they entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank <laughs> into the sea and drowned into the sea. Right, what, what an incredible display of power here. Uh, we, we see the authority of Jesus over the spiritual realm, over demons, over evil spirits. Right, if we were amazed last week uh, in, to see the power and authority of Jesus over nature, right? There was this windstorm. The boat was you know, about to sink, it seemed like. Uh, and Jesus, with just a few simple words, calmed the storm. You know, this week is the same. We have a wild, uncontrollable man, not a storm this time. And Jesus rebukes him with but a few words again. And the result is, again, immediate. There's immediate calm. And we'll see that in a moment. Uh, but this time it's over the spiritual realm. And the image of 2,000 pigs, which like it must have been so many just rushing off to die is a visual manifestation of just the size and the power that the demons have I right? imagine you're standing there and you see these pigs rush off onto the hillside even if you didn't really believe this man was demon possessed until now when you see the pigs rush off right, you would you would know that there is something going on here and just how powerful this legion was but then to think that Jesus is even more powerful than them, right, is a tremendous, tremendous thing for us to consider. And so we saw his love, but here we see Christ's authority, right? His authority to be able to, to help those who may be being attacked or may be possessed by the enemy, right, to help and rescue and deliver uh, no matter, you know, what we're going through. We saw the extent of his love, we see the extent of his authority. And when you put these two things together, um, what we have now is a a Jesus uh, that we really need because he is loving and he has authority. Uh, You've probably heard me say the fact that he's loving means that he cares. And the fact that he has authority means he can. So Jesus cares and Jesus can. And you need those two things if we're going to come to Jesus and ask him for help. Because if you have someone who cares, but they can't, they can't help you, well, there's only a limit to what kind of help they can give. So when you're going through a problem or a struggle, you might turn to a friend who really cares for you, but they don't have the power to do anything about it. Uh, You might feel good after that conversation, and I think talking to them is good. uh, But again, there's a limit to what they can do. Um, In certain circumstances, you need more than that. At the same time, if you have someone who can help you, but doesn't care about you, well, they're not going to really help. There's a limit to the help as well. Let's say your boss can fix your situation, but they don't care about you. So you can plead your case to them, but they don't care. So they won't do anything about it. The fact that we have a God who both cares for us because he loves us, and he can do something about our situation because he has authority, means that when we go to him, we can be confident. And we can find comfort right? that he's going to hear, respond, do something about it. Right? That is our Lord. He can and he cares. And we need that. And I, as we hear this and as we see this, I hopefully uh, encourage us, especially in the season that we're in, uh, to go to him. Um, you know, seek friends and speak to you know, um, mentors Um, see counselors all of these things are helpful Um, but there really is only one person uh, who has limitless power uh, limitless knowledge uh, who holds the universe in his hands and that is our God and we must go to him and we must find comfort right in his presence right he cares he can he has love and he has authority and the third thing that we're going to look at this is the last one is that we see his worth we saw his love we saw, saw his authority, and we're going to see his worth. After this incredible miracle, um, with this demon-possessed man that no one could even restrain, now being set free, and the pigs, 2,000 of them, you know, running to their death, what happens is that the herdsmen, they flee to the city, and they tell everyone what happened, and the crowd you know, gathers around Jesus. In verse 15, it says, they came to Jesus, And they saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. You know, this man used to be out of control, but what they see is that he's just calmly sitting there. He was once naked, living in filth, but now he's clothed, right? Like a normal member of society. He was once possessed by demons, crying out and cutting himself, but now it says he's in his right mind. But again, we see the power of Jesus with but a few words. This man is instantly rescued and transformed. And so imagine you're a part of the crowd here. You've seen this man before. Uh, Maybe you you personally tried to restrain him and you've seen how hopeless it felt to try to fix him. Now he's right in front of you. How would you respond? How did the people respond? Obviously, obviously, there's a revival right? Because this is a miraculous power you just saw. Um, you just saw like this, this incredible thing and a crowd is gathered, right? People are going to turn to Jesus and follow him, right? That's what, that's what we sometimes think. We, we think that, you know, um, if only God were to show up today and you know, do a great miracle, right, everyone would turn to him and believe in Jesus. That's what we think. Uh, but what we find um, so often in the Bible is that this is not the case. People are confronted with the power of Jesus um, and don't turn to him. Right? And we're going to look at at least one reason, one reason why that might be the case. Right? Well, Let's look at the crowd. Rather than a revival breaking out, verse 17, the crowd, they begin to beg Jesus to depart from their region. They beg, beg Jesus not to stay. They beg, beg Jesus to leave. Please just, just get out of here. <laughs> Uh, There's no thanksgiving. There's no praise uh, because he rescued that man. There's only this desperation for Jesus to leave. Um, This is a mirror again of last week's story. In last week's story, the disciples in the start of the story, uh, they were afraid of the storm. And then Jesus, he calms the storm with but a few words. And by the end of the story, the disciples are more afraid of Jesus than the storm. Right, exactly, exactly what happens here. At the start of this story, the crowd is afraid of the demons. But then they see the authority of Jesus to calm this, the, this man with but a few words. And now they're more afraid of Jesus right, than, the, the, than the demons. Right? So it says in verse 17 that um, they begged Jesus to leave and they were afraid. Right? Verse 15, they were afraid. But the difference between the disciples and the crowd is this. Uh, the fear that the disciples have is that they're afraid of being without Jesus. And that's the kind of fear that they have. But the crowd is afraid of being with Jesus. The disciples' fear, it draws them closer to Jesus. Uh, but the crowd's fear, it pushes Jesus away. It pushes them away from Jesus. And that's because the crowd, what they're afraid of, is this is an, this is an ungodly fear. What they're afraid of is that they know that having someone like Jesus in their lives would mean that they need to change. Having someone like Jesus of such authority would inevitably cost them something. Because of his authority, it means that they need to put themselves under his authority. They need to obey him. And that would mean that their comfortable life will need to change. Jesus has already cost them. What they're seeing here, right? They're seeing this man um, sitting there, but really what the crowd is seeing is not him. They're seeing the 2,000 pigs that they just lost. They're afraid that um, Jesus might cost them even more than that. Because maybe they knew that Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jews thought pigs were unclean. And having someone like that in their lives might mean they need to get rid of more pigs. Or maybe are they thinking he's going to come into this Gentile world and make us cast down our idols, change some of our habits. Maybe he'll discover my own demons and I need to remove them, right? There's no praise or thanksgiving that this man has been um, healed and rescued because they don't care about that. What they're caring about is something else. Really, they're caring about themselves in their minds, the fact that this man has been rescued means very little to them, because they would have rather that man stay possessed, and they live their own lives. They would rather choose to keep Satan around than Jesus, because at least Satan doesn't demand them to change the way they live. And so Jesus, before you mess up anything else, before you know you change anything else, please just get out of here. Right? Take your authority, take your power, and get out of here. Is one of the reasons that people, when they're confronted by Jesus and His love and His authority, still don't accept Him, because really they know that if they accept Him and they follow Him, they need a change. It means that His authority will now be over them, and they don't want that, and so they ask Him to leave. But John Stott, in his book Basic Christianity, he talks about this. He says, "Quote, fear." paralyzes our search, right? Fear paralyzes our search. It isn't long before we realize that to find God and to accept Jesus Christ is a very inconvenient experience for most people, A very inconvenient experience for most people. It would involve us rethinking our whole outlook on life and lead to major changes in the way we live. And then he says this, we do not find because we do not seek and the truth is that we do not seek because we do not really want to find right we do not seek jesus right people some people don't want to seek jesus because really they don't want to find him because they know that if they find him if they find their lord it means that they will be inconvenienced and something will have to change for well, the crowd they're looking at jesus they thinking about all the things that it might cost them. And it's not worth having Jesus in their life. Right? The, 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 the value and the worth of Jesus to them is not worth all the things that they might need to change, all the things that they might lose. So they'll rather not have Jesus and keep their world, keep their comfort, keep their lives, keep their idols. But I don't want you, Jesus. This is worth more to me. And so they're rejecting. In contrast to this crowd, we have this man and this man, he sees the worth of Jesus, right? Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with Jesus. Every party in the story is begging. The demons beg to be sent away into pigs. The crowd begs that Jesus is sent away in the boat. But this man begs that he can simply be with Jesus. I, I just want to be with you, Jesus. Right, the crowd's begging Jesus to leave. This man's begging to leave with Jesus. Right, I, I just want to be where you are, Jesus. He doesn't even know where Jesus is going. But he says, but, that, that, but I don't, that doesn't matter. I'm just going to be with you. But this is a really... Um, it's a really shocking thing. But if I was the man, now is my chance to make up for lost time, to see the friends and family that I haven't seen maybe for years or decades, to go back to my old life right, that I lost out on. This is a chance for him to regain all that. But for him, he's willing to sacrifice all of that to chase Jesus. Right? None of that matters to him because he understands the worth of Christ. Everything else in his life that he might lose or give up does not compare to having Jesus. So the crowd is afraid of what they'd lose if they're with Jesus. they They tell him to leave, but this man, he's afraid of what he'd lose without Jesus. And so he says, let me leave with you. I'm afraid of losing you. Everything else I'll leave behind, but I want you. He's a person who sees the worth of Christ. Right, he, he, Philippians 3.8, he could be just exuding right, what these words say. Verse 8. The Apostle Paul says this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ." right? Everything is lost compared to the worth of Christ, and everything is rubbish, he says, compared to Jesus, right? This is the worth of Christ. Unfortunately, not everyone sees him in this way, and so the way this story ends uh, is interesting. Uh, We won't read the verses, but Jesus actually tells the man he's not allowed to come with him, right? It might be because he's a gentile and jesus is right now ministering to jews but either way he sends him out on a mission Uh, this is i think the first christian missionary in the bible it's a demon possessed man he sends him out and he tells him to tell others what jesus has done for him and again this man unlike the crowds he's welcoming the authority of christ over his life regardless of what that might cost him and so he obeys and he does what Jesus tells him to do. And he goes across, across these 10 cities right, proclaiming Jesus and what he's done. Uh, Jim Elliott, uh, he's a martyr missionary. Uh, he died in 1950s uh, trying to tell people about Jesus. Uh, quite a famous uh, missionary. Uh, he has this famous quote. He said, uh, he said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll say that again because it's a little tricky. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I'll say that one more time. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Right? So it is a, not a foolish thing. It's actually a wise thing he's saying. To give what you can't keep. And what you can't keep is this life, this world, all the things we're gathering, the treasures of this earth, it's not foolish to give that up to gain what you can't lose, which is Christ, eternity, your relationship with Him. The trade that you should make is to give up worldly things to gain heavenly, eternal things. That's wise, his saying. And this is what the demonized man got. He got, he understood that what I can't lose, Jesus, eternity, my relationship with Him, is far better than what I would lose in this world. And this is what the crowd did not understand. They would rather keep the things of the world. And in the process, they lost Christ. We began this story, we pitied the demonized man, right? I don't know about you, when you hear about this man who everyone in the world had given up on, possessed by a legion of demons, living in the tombs, who had nothing, hit rock bottom, rejected by everyone, has no reason to live, we pity him. But by the end of this story, this man's life is radically different. He had nothing, but now he has everything because he's found his greatest treasure. He's found Jesus. He was rejected, but now is accepted by the only person that matters. He's accepted by Jesus. And he had no reason to live. He was trying to kill himself, but now he has a reason and purpose to live, commissioned by Christ himself to proclaim Jesus to the world. And so rather than pitying the man, we end up pitying the crowd. Because we realize, as I was thinking about this, well, I realized that they're the ones possessed in the end of the story. Not possessed by demons, but possessed by the world. Possessed by comfort, the love of comfort, the love of autonomy, the love of independence. Possessed by these things and unable to let them go. And because they weren't able to let them go, they let Christ go. Right? How pitiable, how sad is it that the crowd would be confronted by a Savior and Lord who is loving and has such authority, but would not see his worth. And so they asked him to leave. And so in summary, we saw Christ's love. He traversed the ferocious windstorm to help this Demon-possessed man that the rest of the world had given up on. That he himself had given up on himself. But Jesus doesn't give up on him. We see his love. Second, we saw his authority to even cast out an army of demons from a man that you know, people could not even restrain. With but a few words, he's transformed. Jesus cares. Jesus can, I said. The third thing, we saw his worth. Well, the question is, do we see his worth? because that will determine whether we accept him and his authority and all the change that he will demand of our lives, or whether we'll reject him, because we would rather keep what we have rather than him. And so the question is, will we be like the crowds that beg Jesus to leave, afraid of what we'd lose if we have Jesus? Or will we be like the demonized man begging to leave with Jesus because we're afraid of what we'd lose without him? I just want you, and I just want to be with you, whatever that costs. Will we be like that man who, in the end of the story, really has everything that he needed? That's the question, and that's the challenge.